Welcome to Madison Story Slam. I'm your host, Adam Rosted. This is a Story Slam episode. The theme was, it wasn't my fault. So you will hear from me right away telling the story about how I almost burned down my neighbor's house, but it really wasn't my fault. Hey, next Story Slam is Saturday, May 16th at the Wilmar Center. The theme is Hindsight is 2020. And we really want to thank Ale Asylum for sponsoring this Story Slam and the upcoming one. They'll be partnering with us for uh, each month, the Story Slams. We're really appreciative. Come on out to, the, to our next one in May. We'd love to see you. Anyway, a lot of great stories. Sit back, relax. Have a blast, maybe a beer. Here are the stories. So, again, our theme tonight is, it wasn't my fault. Uh, All of us have stories that we have been involved in that were totally not our fault. Um, Growing up, I was a pastor's kid, as many of you know, if you're a regular at Story Slam. Uh, And... I did a lot of things that weren't my fault, that I got in trouble for. I was the youngest, uh, so I didn't get in trouble as much as my older brother and sister. But I had a neighbor, and let's call him Dan, because uh, I can't think of a better name. And Dan was sort of a troublemaker, and I was not. Like, I was a good kid, and uh, sort of. Uh, so one time Dan convinced me to, after Halloween, the day after, to smash our own pumpkins. You know, usually you go out to your neighborhood, like hoodlums, go out to their own their neighborhood and smash other people's pumpkins. But it was the day after Halloween. We're like, we don't need our pumpkins anymore. So we smashed them. Uh, we then threw the, We had this really anal retentive neighbor named Jim. And uh, Jim was obsessed with his lawn, with his house. He, he called the cops on anybody who parked on the street for more than like 12 hours. It was insane. I lived in some prairie, so like there's not like a whole ton of street parking rules. We took our smashed pumpkins and we threw them on his roof and, and then wiped his Cadillac with them, with them and then wiped them all over the garage. And uh, I was like 10 and it was totally Dan's doing. Like He was like, you got to do this to be cool like me. And he was older, so I was like, yeah, I do. Uh, at one time, when I was a kid, uh, I liked fire. I liked Zippo lighters a whole lot, and I always wanted one. And I'll never forget the, the day my, my uh, older friend, he was a senior in high school. I was probably fifth or sixth grade. I don't know why that was funny. <laughs> we had a special relationship. Uh, I'll never forget the, na- the, the day that, uh, that Mark took me out to Walmart in some prairie and got me my very first Zippo lighter and I thought it was so cool. And for weeks I was like taunting Dan. I almost said his real name there. I was taunting Dan. I was like, oh yeah. And light. And you know, we were like young boys and we liked fire and we wanted to light things on fire. So one rainy night we're, uh, we're standing out on his like covered porch. It was a cement floor. It was right outside his garage and his kitchen window. And, uh, Ben, oh shit, <laughs> Dan, <laughs> Dan was like, let's light stuff on fire, and I was like, yeah, totally, obviously, I had my Zippo on me, he went to the, to, into the garage to get some things to light on fire, he came out with a mason jar, a, a small, like, a uh, pan, but it was plastic, um, and then a can of gas, 
and keep in mind, we are 11 years old. Uh, and a piece of chalk, a big thick piece of chalk, which he, uh, uh, he poured gas into the mason jar and then soaked the piece of chalk in that. I don't know why. And he brought it out and he goes, like this. And I was like, yeah, of course. It's soaked in gas. It's going to be awesome. So I lit that. And he was holding it. (laughs) So like immediately his hand hurt and was burning. So he dropped the piece of chalk into the pan of gasoline. He also filled up the pan full of gasoline. That burst into flames. Uh, Then to put that out, he took the pan and tipped it over. Which then spread gas all around the covered porch on the cement. The mason jar gets tipped over, more gas in flames. The, the can of gas is now surrounded by a burning inferno. And it, just remember, I said it was raining out, but it was a covered porch. So, so I ran out, and I knew where his dad kept the hose, so I grabbed the hose, turned it on, and came running around the house and started... But it, it was like something must have snagged, because I couldn't quite get it. So I'm like, from afar, I'm like... And his dad comes out on the deck, just sticks his head out the, the, the door and goes, is the hose on? He's a Wisconsin guy. And uh, I said, yeah. And he goes, it's raining. Turn the hose off. I, like an idiot, I was like, okay. So I ran back. I turned it off. And on my way back, he's still sticking his head out. He goes, is there a fire out here? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, turn the hose on. That was the day I uh, very nearly burnt down my friend's house. Uh, I I ran home. We got it put out. Like (laughs) Ben, Dan, for some reason, was rolling around in the flames. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, He, you know, stop, drop, and roll. But like, you want to be like, Dan, that's when you're on fire, not not to put out a fire. And uh, his dad's spraying him with the hose, and we get it out. And uh, his dad is like, you need to go home. And I was like, yeah, I do. And I reeked like gasoline, so I got home, and uh, our shower was in the basement because uh, we're trash. And um, <laughs> and uh, I went straight down into the basement, stripped off my clothes, and jumped in the shower because I was like, I can't smell like gas. And the whole time in the shower, I'm like, Ben's strong. He's not going to rat me out. He's got this. He'll take the blame. He's strong. Get out of the shower, turn it off, and I hear the phone ring. And then I hear steps to, coming up to the stairs, like, you know, like, you know, angry steps that are like, like that. And as soon as I heard those, I was like, oh, Ben's weak. He totally gave me up. Uh, and he did. Uh, all that happened to me is I had to clean my room that night and they took my Zippo away until the following morning. <laughs> ben got grounded forever. I mean, Dan, whatever. His name was Ben. He, He's never going to hear this. So that is my story that it wasn't my fault. Uh, So there you go. Uh, Our first storyteller is Lisa Stoffer. Is it Stoffer? Is that how you... Was it? Stoffer? Stoffer? Give it up for Lisa Stoffer! I had recently become unengaged. The man who I loved, the man who I moved across the country for, was done with me, and therefore out of my life. I uh, had to grapple with the fact that I would now be a 26-year-old virgin. 
because I was not good enough for him, or his money, or his religion, or my religion, (sighs) to escape the torment of being single at 26, I boarded a plane to Europe. A couple of girlfriends joined me, and we saw the rolling hills of Scotland, the Louvre, the Eiffel Tower, the Big Ben. But due to our mix-up in our flights, I would end the trip alone in Rome, Italy. The Colosseum hung from the sky, light cascading through the archways. He dumped you. Uh, uh, the, 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 The architecture is gorgeous. You blew it. Look at all of the people, the splendor, the statues. You idiot! How could you let this happen? You are not good enough. You are not godly enough. (sighs) The cobblestone streets were buzzing with vendors, and I couldn't hear any of them because all I could hear were my own thoughts. Ciao, Bella. How you like to take a walking tour of Rome? 35 euros comes with gelato. I heard that. Gelato. Maybe something decadent and sweet will help me forget everything I've been through. So I roamed the plaza, and I circled again, and I went down the street, and I went back, and I could not find the gelato place, so I decided to test out my Italiana and uh, ask somebody. So I saw an elderly woman. Scusi. Uh, gelato? Do you know where, out of my periphery, I see a six-foot-two, curly-haired Italian man jump over a bench? Bella, you have come back. It was the persistent tour guide. (laughs) No, no, I'm okay. I'm just looking for gelato. (gasps) Yes, I know it. Come. And before I could protest, he dragged me down the street and got me two of the biggest gelatos I could imagine. We sat on the street and ate. But he seemed less interested in his dessert. Bella, why are you so sad? I'm fine, (laughs) I lied. I'm just enjoying Rome. God, how am I going to shake this guy? Beg, I beg of you. I beg you, Bella, please tell me what's wrong. I know this look. I'm fine, really. (laughs) So, what's your name? (laughs) Aaron. Oh, that's my ex's name. (laughs) Oh my God, it's destiny! (laughs) What? No, 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 he was was not a good guy. Oh yes, you are right. Stupid Aaron, stupid Aaron! He cried as he jumped up and down, screaming as scooter people came by, staring at him. Stupid Aaron, stupid Aaron! (laughs) It felt so to laugh and this man was ridiculous (laughs) gosh calm down calm down you're gonna cause an accident (laughs) god it would be fun to ride one of those scooters around rome wouldn't it i have a scooter (laughs) we stared at each other for a moment bella come with me i will show you all of rome now i know you're all thinking naive girl in rome don't worry i'm not stupid I recognize I'm a single, naive woman in a city that I don't recognize and know nothing about, sitting next to a very strange, passionate man. 
So I weighed my options. I could sit here and think about my ex, or I could go on an amazing scooter ride and maybe get murdered. I decided to roll the dice, and we were off, darting down streets, red, green, blue, orange, buildings blazed past us. We narrowly missed a Fiat, and he laid on his horn, and I held him just a little bit tighter around the chest. Mm, that's nice. I thought, no, no, no. Remember, religious, right? We're good. I'm a good person. <laughs> but I couldn't help it. It was so exciting. He showed me everything. The Boca, the Colosseum. <sighs> Destiny, he yelled as we drove past arch ancient architecture. Destiny, destiny. Before I knew it, I was calling destiny. <sighs> but then he took a turn. And another turn. And another. And we were getting further and further away from the center of town where, like, all the touristy places are. <laughs> where are we going? <laughs> and he didn't answer. Dang it! Lisa, I knew you were going to get murdered! So I started to plan an escape route, looking, but he wouldn't slow down. He just kept going miles and miles out. And before you know it, we pulled into a dark, enclosed parking lot. Oh my, I thought. He pulled up close to a, a big green door that was on one side. And he got off his bike and he goes, Bella, I want to show you something. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> Bella, come, I want to show you. Why? Bella, please, come look at this. And I looked, and he was, he was pointing at the door, but he wasn't pointing like, go inside. He was pointing at a, a small hole, about that big, in the door. And I, I came a little closer, okay, okay. He said, Bella, look. So I bent down. And I looked. Oh my God! What is this? I said. Just look again. And I looked. A lush green dark tunnel of trees going down for at least a mile. And then right there at the end, in the center, the dome of St. Peter's Basilica. Clear as day, and it all fit within the size of a quarter. This is amazing. What is this? Well, you see, uh, the church is very wealthy, and, and, and people give them land. They build this garden. But God himself say it's so beautiful that they cannot keep it from us, so they give the whole. Okay. <laughs> and I looked again. God, that is so beautiful. No, Bella, you are. <laughs> I thought a very handsome man just called me beautiful no 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 calm down but I couldn't resist you are cheesy I said giggling and smacking him what Bella you break my heart <laughs> oh come on just here take a picture of me and I gave him my sexiest flirtiest smile Oh my God, he said, putting one hand on my lower back, the other behind my head, and he stuck his tongue so far down my throat that I choked. <laughs> oh, Bella, I am so sorry. Are you right? It's fine. I laughed. And we kissed. 
We kissed at the door. We kissed at the Coliseum. We kissed at the Forum. We kissed everywhere, maybe in front of a few hundred Asian tourists. And I felt something amazing, passion. For the first time in my life, I was with someone who made me feel, what is this? This is awesome. (laughs) And I thought, Why? Why have I never experienced this kind of passion before? My religious Mormon upbringing breaking, shattering from around me. Why? Why couldn't I have this kind of a relationship with someone? And I thought, why would God give us the gift of passion only to give us a tiny glimpse of what that could be? and reserve it for only those who had chosen. Thank you, Lisa. I dated a Mormon girl once. It was awful. I'm sure you're not awful. I, I, <laughs> but passion, man, that sounds good. I wish I had some of that in my life. By the way, my wife is uh, in the kitchen. I just got the dirtiest look. (laughs) Okay, our next storyteller has told several stories at Story Slam's past. He's very funny. Um, I'm not going to say what I said last time because I felt bad about it, but even though he told me it wasn't a big deal. But if you've heard him and know him, you know he's great, so uh, put your hands together for James Farley. So I had a hard time thinking of a story where it wasn't my fault. So I thought of a story where I could kind of wrangle it so it wasn't my fault just because I was um, kind of a dumbass, like like just because of naivete. Um, so in college, I had close friends, but I was also on, on, on like the fringe of a lot of groups. And one of those groups was the drama students. And not to, um, not, not to cast broad stereotypes, the drama students at the University of Iowa were, were, were very dramatic. Um, they, all, all of them had to be the center of attention at all times. Um, and they were exhausting to be around. But there was one drama student, um, I'll call her Jane, and she was very cool. Um, she did not do that. Um, so I could kind of like go off into the corner and talk with her, and it was great. Um, and we were friends. Um, and kind of a, if you've heard me tell stories before, kind of a recurring theme is that for my entire life, um, I've, kind of, I've kind of been five to ten years behind my peers in terms of talking to girls. Um, I'm 30 now, so I've caught up. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, the summer after my sophomore year was a big, it was a big summer for me because um, Jane and I, we lived close to each other um, in, in the suburbs of Chicago, and we took a trip together back to Iowa City to stay with some of our friends. We um, unironically sang along to the Spice Girls uh, there and back. It was great. Um, we, 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 we played video games with our friends. We went and sang karaoke. Um, and all this time, like, we're just friends as far as I'm concerned because... Um, like it, 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 there's there's not a universe that I can conceive of where where she's interested in me. Um, so so that's what you have to keep in mind here. Um, 
so then, like, later that summer, our friends came and visited us in the Chicago suburbs, and we went to Great America and watched all the people make out in the lions on the way to the rides, and it was great. Um, so, so then uh, summer ended, and I met another girl who's now my wife. Her name is Laura, um, and that was great. Yay! Um, yeah, so see, I, I, can, I, can, I can talk to girls now, you know, it's good. Uh, um, so, um, we met at a party, and Everclear and, um, and Fruit Punch brought us together. Um, I spilled some, I, I spilled some jungle, some jungle juice on, on my sock, and, and apparently that just knocked her socks off. Um, it was, yeah, it was, uh, I just thought of that. I hadn't thought of that before. That was good. Um, uh, <laughs> um, so, um, needless to say, we, we, we got close very quickly. Um, uh, the first night, the, the jungle juice night, Laura stayed over and it was great. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so, so, so we started dating and seeing a lot of each other. And the Dresden Dolls were coming to Iowa City. So we're going to go see the Dresden Dolls because we're angsty and we like the Dresden Dolls. Um, and... Walking down the street one day, I saw Jane. I was like, hey, Jane, how are you doing? And she asked me if I was going to a Dresden Dolls concert. And I was like, oh, yeah, I have a ticket. Um, and she was like, cool, you want to go with me? Okay, so this should have been a tip-off that she wanted to go with just me. But this did not occur to me. Um, I was already going with Laura. And I was like, cool, that sounds great, Jane. Thinking that all three of us would just go together. And, and, and we did do that. Um, but, but when Laura and I showed up to her dorm, she was clearly dressed to go on a date. Um, and it was horrible. Um, I, I remember, uh, I, I, I didn't realize it for the entirety of the concert, but, but Laura definitely did. Um, and, and she told me that I had made a terrible mistake after, after we parted ways. Um, to, to make things worse, there was one of the annoying drama students who had showed up, and he, he painted his face like the drummer from the Dresden Dolls, um, and he was just, like, looming around us and being really obnoxious. He was just looming and, like, looking, um, like, like, side to side with his eyes, and it was really annoying. Um, so I, so I'm, I'm sure that this whole time, like, I'm standing there, like, clutching the, the woman who's now my wife, and I'm sure that she was just standing there this whole time, like, just wanting to punch everyone. Um... <laughs> So I'm, I'm just gonna, yeah, um, yeah, it was just, it, it wasn't my fault because I was a dipshit then, and there's, there's, you can't do anything about that, you know? Um, wait, that's it. <laughs> Thank you, James. Uh, I like, uh, I like your subtlety. Laura stayed over that night at, uh, it was a good night. Put your hands together for Nicole! Thank you, thank you. Um, so sadly, no, I'm not a winner. There are a few things in life yet that I've won at. Um, except I won a spelling bee once in seventh grade, which has been a point of pride ever since. I love words. Yay. Um, so I didn't realize I had a story until Brittany reminded me of a story I told her not too long ago. I should preface, preface this story by saying um, I ran with a pretty rough crowd in high school. I was a straight-A student, but somehow got myself 
kicked out of the house when I was 16 and was hanging with people that were a little older than me, maybe had been to jail a time or two, not all of them, just a few. There was probably someone on house arrest, just a bunch of hooligans. So that's the preface to the story. So one night we're drinking, under I'm underage drinking, uh, hanging out, you know, and I decide it's nice out, it's hot, we didn't have air conditioning because we're like poor and 19 while I was 16. And I was like, well, let's go for a swim. So I'm in Sparta, Wisconsin, if anyone's familiar. Uh, lovely town. Um, so we go to a place called Jersey Valley. We drive out in the country, some hilly roads. It's a nice drive out there. My friend and I go swimming. Other people are up at the car drinking, hanging out, talking. We're swimming. It's amazing, right? It's so nice out. It's hot. We're swimming. It feels great. No one else is there. We're just having a good time, laughing. And then we hear yelling. And I'm like, do you hear that? Like, it sounds like someone's fighting. Like, what the heck is going on? She's like, I don't know. We're just like, okay, we'll keep swimming. Like, maybe people are just being weird. Who knows? And we hear it again. I'm like, well, let's go see what it is. It sounds like pretty serious. We come up. When we were down swimming, someone else had showed up, obviously thinking the same thing. We were probably drunk because it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, and my friends were fighting with them. And we walk up, we're like, what is going on? Suddenly we see someone had gotten a baseball bat from the trunk of the car. One of my friends, uh, lovely people that they were, all very high achievers in life, I'm sure, um, chases after someone with a baseball bat and starts beating the living shit out of them. This actually happened. Um, this guy is like unconscious. My friend's like, we gotta go. And I'm like, I'm not done swimming yet. Like, what the hell is going on? Um, so we like jump in the car. We loaded. I think we had like seven people in a Crown Vic, which is a big car, but not really enough for seven people. There are like four people packed in the back. We're scrunched in. I'm soaking wet. Like, what is happening? We're like cruising down this road, right? So there's one road to get to this place. One road, long country road, really hilly. No way out. We hear police sirens coming down the road toward us. What the hell? The driver makes a split decision, turns off the side road. He's gunning it down this country road. It's pitch black out. No street lights because it's in the middle of nowhere. And suddenly there's no road in front of us. <laughs> no road. We're barreling down, which I'm assuming is some kind of a farm trail. There are buildings blazing past. Suddenly the car bottoms out because it's kind of like rutted. It's a rutted road. It's just land. Bottoms out. We're stuck. Okay, he's like, okay, all right, so we'll just sit here for a second, wait for the sirens to go past. We hear the cops passing us. They obviously had no idea where we went because this is a private road just to someone's farm, apparently, which we didn't know until we got stuck there. So we're sitting there. I'm wet. It's getting cold. I'm like, this kind of sucks. Um, I just wanted to swim, and here I am jammed in a Crown Victoria with six other people. And we're like, okay, we're sitting there. Okay, we don't hear the sirens anymore. After a while, we're like, okay, let's try to go. So he turns the car back on, tries to reverse, 
nothing. So it's like 3 o'clock in the morning. We're stuck. We're trying to call our friends. No one's picking up because it's 3 o'clock in the morning. People who are awake are probably too drunk to come get us. We're stuck there. We were there for three hours. Six o'clock in the morning, I get really desperate. At this point, I'm not living with my parents, but I'm like, I'll call my mom up. I'll see if she'll come get us. So she picks us up. It's like 6.30 in the morning. The sun is coming up. I'm still wet, you know, and she pulls up to this country road. She's like, what in the hell is my daughter doing probably? She's driving a Subaru Legacy, which is a small car, right? Seven of us pile inside her Subaru Legacy. She's glaring at me. Like, I don't even want to know what happened. I'm so mad at you right now. She didn't ask. She never asked. I finally told her once. I was like, wow, this is what happened. She's like, what the hell, Nicole? Um, She drives us back to downtown Sparta to my friend's house, drops us off. That was the end of that situation. One of the guys, I guess it wasn't the end for everyone. I wasn't the uh, perpetrator of physical violence in that situation, so nothing bad happened to me. But uh, the people with the baseball bat actually did end up going to jail, so that was a bit of a drown-out situation for them. But in the end, when I told my mom the story, you know, what I had to say was, it wasn't my fault. All I wanted to go, all I wanted to do was swim, right? (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. Um, Our next storyteller is a new storyteller. I've never heard him before. His name is Gavin. So let's put our hands together for Gavin Tullis. Okay. So uh, my story fits into the theme of it wasn't my fault in the sense that I really do think in this situation it wasn't my fault. Our next storyteller is a new storyteller who we have never heard from before. It's going to be really good. We didn't just lose the batteries on our mic. His name is Gavin, so put your hands together for Gavin! So actually, that really fits in well with my story. In a way, you could call that an act of God. A really minor, petty act of God. But my story, which wasn't my fault, which wasn't anyone's fault, my neighbor's fault, my mom's fault, um, was kind of an act of God. But again, a very petty and bizarre act of God, if you want to call it that. Um, So what happened is, it was a really hot mid-August day. Just, you know, humid, awful, the sun's beating down, no one's outside, you don't want to go outside. It's the kind of day that you really wouldn't want a wild animal to die in your backyard. Um, The conditions just aren't going to be good for that kind of thing. Um, So I was upstairs doing God knows what, and I hear some commotion downstairs, and I hear my mom talking. So I go downstairs to investigate. Uh, She's looking through the kitchen window into our backyard, uh, and she spots this massive possum walking through our neighbor's yard. 
Uh, and it is not in a good condition. This isn't just like a nice, you know, happy possum. This guy is in the throes of death. There's drool hanging from his face, you know, like from his mouth. It's coming out. He's stumbling like a drunk guy at like Lollapalooza, like falling over and getting up again and falling over. And it's, it's awful. And, you know, you'd think our first thoughts would be like, oh, the poor animal. I hope he's okay. It wasn't. It was, oh my God, please do not die in our backyard. Die anywhere else, anywhere else, but just don't die in our backyard. Well, of course, this guy must have had, this possum must have had telepathic powers because he started to kind of slowly but surely lumber through our neighbor's yard and make his way right into like the nice smack dab midpoint of our yard and proceeded to just fall over. And now we're like, oh shit, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, so we're both kind of in the first stage of grief denial. We think, okay, he's not dead yet. He'll get up. Maybe he'll walk over back into our neighbor's yard and die. And actually, he gets up. And we're like, yes, he's not going to die in our backyard. And then he falls over again. He gets up. We're like, yes, he's not going to die in our backyard. He falls over again. This time we wait for about 10 minutes, uh, 10, 15 minutes, and it's clear he's not getting up again. He's not breathing. He's gone. So what are we going to do? My dad's upstairs sleeping. He works nights, so that's not going to help. My sister was, you know, young, so she wouldn't have helped us anyways. But, I mean, she was away with her friends in a cabin. So it's just mom and son teamwork. Um, and so my mom's first idea is very logical. We call the city. I mean, you know, the city provides basic services like fire, firefighting, water, police, and, you know, the occasional removal of dead animals, you would think. Um, so she got some, gets on the phone, manages to reach someone in animal control, and they're like, okay, ma'am, dead possum, we're on it. We're going to come over. We'll remove this thing. So we're relieved. We're like, okay, great, problem solved. So we're waiting. A half an hour goes by. An hour goes by. You know, we're good citizens. You know, we'll wait our turn. We figure, you know, it takes a while for the animal control control guy to get like his vest on or whatever. Um, but so two hours go by. Now we're starting to get nervous. And then three hours go by and it's like, you know, it's, you know, starting to be evening. The sun is really has beaten down. It's, it's just like, okay, it's getting way too late. This thing's going to start rotting. Um, and so she gets back on the phone, calls animal control yet again, and find, you know, gets this, contacts another woman. And this woman hears the story and is like, okay, okay, I'm going to, oh, dead possum in your backyard. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay, if it was in the street, we'd totally come and pick it up. But it's in your backyard, so, you know, uh, you guys deal with it. You know, you can, like, put it in your trash can and, you know, we'll then obviously dispose of it that way. And now with this, I think the day, you know, we would have had, like, a week until the next garbage pick up. So it would have been sitting through like, you know, seven days of 90 degree heat in our garage rotting. So, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but that's not my favorite idea. And it wasn't my mom's either. Okay. So we come up with plan B, which is to just call the city's bluff and throw it in the street and call them back up and be like, <laughs> deal with it. But then we think the better of it because he would have been, this possum would have been in the direct line of sight of like all of our neighbors across the street and they would have watched this guy like bloats and maybe gets picked at by vultures or something horrific. It just would not have been great uh, for a reputation in the neighborhood. So plan C or whatever at this point uh, is to 
maybe bury the guy. But again, it's like we thought about the optics of this, of our neighbors looking out their windows and watching as like mother and son are digging up, you know, shovelfuls of dirt trying to dig a deep enough hole so this thing like goes, this possum goes six feet under and doesn't come up, you know, rotting in the next rainstorm or something. So not a great idea. Finally, my mom decides to call our neighbor who's a veterinarian. Unfortunately, he's out for the day, so she gets the veterinarian's wife. Um, and she has the amazing idea of having her 14-year-old son come over and dispose of the possum uh, in the dumpster that's behind uh, the nearby middle school. You know, this seems like a, I guess, a logical idea. At this point, I was like, I have no idea. I'm just glad I don't have to deal with this. So my mom bravely goes outside, puts on some garden gloves, uh, puts the possum in a trash bag. Now, this isn't your average, like, black trash bag. This is like a white kind of semi-see-through trash bag. So So the neighbor's kid comes over, you know, happy as can be. He picks up this trash bag uh, with the possum. At this point, rigor mortis has set in, as you'd imagine. So what you would see if you had watched, looked out your window that day, was this 14-year-old kid with kind of a spring in his step walking down the sidewalk, holding a trash bag with a possum, like, up like this, with all four of its legs kind of stuck up in rigor mortis. And it wasn't, it was pretty clear that you would have seen in this trash bag a silhouette of a dead animal. It wasn't like it wouldn't you wouldn't have known that something weird is happening so he goes down and unfortunately as you might imagine middle schools tend to you know padlock their dumpsters you know that's probably a good plan if you have middle schoolers near garbage so he comes back again walking back you know we watch out the window with him you know holding the trash bag rigor mortis possum etc um and he for some reason decides not to take it back to our house but to bring it over to our, our neighbor's house to the you know wife of the veterinarian and you know plops it in their front yard so now what are we going to do? Well, it's, I guess it's not our problem anymore. It wasn't our fault, so, but we're still kind of concerned. You know, my mom's actually been talking on the phone the whole time as this saga is developing, you know, talking with the veterinarian's wife, watching the kid do this. So our, our next idea is, well, the veterinarian actually has a freezer where he can store dead animals, and apparently there are companies that will come and dispose of frozen dead animals for you. That's a thing. Um, <laughs> But that involves a fee. Uh, Like, you know, as you'd imagine, people want to get paid for having to lug frozen wild animals back and forth to who knows where you, you know, throw those guys. Uh, And so, uh, you know, that just doesn't seem fair to have them, like, saddle that burden, uh, you know, uh, to pay a fee. So finally, the solution is a very logical one, which is that the veterinarian decides to come home. He very bravely picks up the possum, puts puts it in the backseat of his car, drives to his practice, and throws it in the dumpster behind his veterinary practice. So, you know, that was the final resting place of this poor possum. I mean, it should have had a proper burial, but it just got thrown, you know, where dead cats go or something. I don't know. It's some awful place. Um, But... In, you know, in a way with that story, I think it, it, I felt kind of guilty in a way that 
they, our neighbors, were saddled with the burden of this dead possum that it wasn't their fault. You know, it wasn't our fault either, but it kind of sucked that, you know, this veterinarian who had just dealt with, you know, vasectomies for dogs or something awful all day long comes home and has to, you know, deal with this rotting possum in his backseat. But I, again, it was amazing. It was like teamwork, community coming together. And here's the thing. In a way, it wasn't all of our fault, but it was all of our fault because of this. Uh, when my mom first called the veterinarian's wife, she reported that earlier that morning when she was out walking her dogs, she spotted this clearly sick possum that matched the exact descriptions of our perpetrator. And she, this was like several blocks away. So she was thinking when she got on the phone, she's like, there's no way that can be, oh shit, how did that, you know, this possum was like in the throes of death when I saw it, you know, eight hours earlier in the morning. But somehow, for some cosmic accident, it had enough like will and strength to slowly lumber all those four blocks or whatever, you know, which in possum miles is probably like 10 miles, up to our backyard and die right there. So, you know, it could have died anywhere. It could have died in the middle of the street, and then it would have been the city's problem. Um, but I like to think that, you know, that possum, it was the whole neighbor's possum. We were all in it together. or all responsible. I don't know which one. Thanks so much, guys. Let's run away. Thank you, Gavin. I one time killed a possum that my... Remember my anal retentive neighbor, Jim? He trapped a possum and the, uh, he called the, the, I don't know, the people, the DNR, to come retrieve it. And they said, no, if you catch a possum, you have to kill it because possums, raccoons, and skunks usually have rabies. We won't come out, so you have to dispose of it. You have to terminate it, is what they said. So he called his uh, two, two neighbor boys, my brother and I, over. We had pellet guns and we... Hey, I was young. I wouldn't do it today, I promise, but it was fun when I was 12. So, uh, Our next storyteller is uh, a very exciting storyteller. I'm sure you've seen him here before, if you've been to Story Slam. Uh, he's just about the most animated person I've ever met. His name is Dave, so please put your hands together for Dave Babbler. Hey, guys. So I'm going to try and keep this short. Um, so I had this friend in fifth grade. He's like my best friend. Like, oh man, we like we 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 would feed off of each other. Like we were both these like creative, like these little guys. Like I, I'm not gonna use his name. I'm gonna follow after Adam. I'm gonna. Call, you guys watch James Bond? Any of you? James Bond? Did you guys know Q? Yeah, I'm gonna call him Q. And you guys, the ones that raise your hand, you're gonna see why. We would just feed off each other. We just like we like we're both creative, and we both like would just like sit down and draw things, or you know take a stick and think it's a sword, and then like make something out of it because we're just like these very creative, energetic kids. And like whenever we'd hang out, God man, it's just the best time. Me and Q, <laughs> me and Q guys, it's the best. So one day I'm at the dollar store with my mom. We're shopping at the dollar store. I don't remember for what. And she tells me, "Oh, Dave, I forgot to tell you." You're going to be spending the weekend at Q's house. I'm like, oh, hell yeah, ma. So as I think about this, I'm thinking about, man, what can I, what can I buy in the dollar store to like really show off to Q? Like, cause like he always, oh man, Q. So like sometimes I go to his house and like he'd be like, hey Dave, you want to see something that I, I did? <laughs> and he would like grab a walkie-talkie, walk up to the window and just and like and then like stick it next to the window and turn it on and he'd like listen in on other people's phone calls and be like, and like. Did you hear that? I'm like, yeah, someone's talking there. Where's the other walkie-talkie? He's like, 
that's the person across the street. We look in the window, and there's these people on the phone. And he's like, and this lady's like, can you pick up some 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 milk and some eggs and I'm like what? We just heard this lady's this grocery list. She's giving it to her husband. Are you kidding me? How did you kill? So you always had to trump queue. You had to get there next time. So I'm sitting in the dollar store. I'm trying to find like this one thing that's going to be like, man, if, I'm not going to be able to listen to other people's grocery lists. I got to figure. So I'm looking around and the best thing I come up with is, Dave, we got to go. So like, the first thing I do is I, I'm like, right, so I, I got to grab something. First thing I grab is a cane. <laughs> yep, a cane. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm creative. I can figure out something cool that Q will be impressed with, right? I mean, I like, guess a cane. <laughs> and so I convinced my mom God knows how to buy me this cane. It's just like this wooden cane. Like, it, 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 it's a cane. It, it's, you know, like, people, like, wear, like, glasses. Like, they like they think, like, these, like, as a fashion statement, it's not. That's what this was. I'm like, somehow I got to convince him that this cane is cool. <laughs> so I get the cane. I, I purchase the cane. And then the weekend comes up, and I get to Q's house. <laughs> I open the door, and I'm like, Q! <laughs> I'm in fifth grade. I didn't actually say that. But, you know, that's just the way I like to tell the story. And, and he's like, Dave, what is this? He's like, he's like you got to tell me. you got to tell me what this is about, man, because I'm so excited. We're going to feed off of this. I'm like, bro, it's a cane. <laughs> bro, it's a cane. <laughs> and I start, like, spinning it around. And I start, like, doing things. I'm like, dude, check it out. He's like, wait, do you want to try? He's like, Dave, you know I want to try. So he takes the cane, he starts spinning it around, we start playing with it, walking with it, and he's like, Dave, I don't, I don't know what to do, I gotta get a cane. <laughs> True story. He's like, I just need to get a cane, and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> this was a joke, this was a last minute dollar general purchase, I don't know, yeah, alright, fine, let's go get a cane. So we decided to walk, he lives near the uh, East Town Mall, at the time there was a dollar store inside of East Town Mall, and uh, we walked down there, and I still have my cane, and this was just yesterday that I purchased it. And like all of you know, I can literally look in every person's eyes in this room and know that you've gone into a store, come back the same day and felt guilty about it, or just felt like, they're going to know I was here, this is weird! I do it all the time, I go to uh, like Walgreens and walk in, I buy something, I have to come back later, and the, and the cashier looks at me, and I'm like, dude, like there's like this like tele- telepathy, and I'm like, I just gotta pick up something else, <laughs> it's not a big deal, like we just like stare at each other, and I know that's gonna happen at the dollar store, and I gotta mask that somehow, so we walk, we get to East Town Mall, and we walk in, and, Q, and Q's all psyched, it's like, man, we both gonna have canes, this is gonna be cool, and we're walking in to the dollar store, cane in hand, but as we, before we walk in, I'm like, alright, so somehow I gotta make sure that, you know, nobody sees me, so I put my hood up, <laughs> and I walk in, and I'm looking around at these staff so suspiciously with my hood up, cane in hand, we go back, and we're like, we're going and filtering through the canes, and, and Q's like, this is the one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting this. So he gets back. <laughs> he starts walking to the cashier. And he's like, dude, um, I'll meet you at Boston store. And then I just like start, and I turn around and I start booking it and looking around like this with my hood up. And like looking around. <laughs> and then I just like walk into Boston store and I sit there and I'm like, God, I hope no one saw me. I turn around. There's a man sprinting at me. 
No, come on, you guys. You see a guy in sixth grade, hood up, staring at people like this as he walks out. Yeah, it's the Dollar General. Who cares if they steal it? They care. That's their cane. And, and I'm like, and it, doesn't even, it doesn't even register with me that that's what's going on. So I look at them, and I'm like, he knows I was here. <laughs> He's like, he knows that I bought this yesterday. What is he going to do to me? <laughs> he brings me back inside, Q being the best friend that he is. Q being the best friend that he is, he's like, sir, you don't understand. We both came here to get canes. Because canes are cool. This is my bro Dave, and we're going to go spin them later. (laughs) Nah, I didn't say that. He said something like that. (laughs) But, um, yeah, that's my story. Um, I guess the lesson is, don't feel guilty about going back into the Dollar General when you just want to buy another cane. So, thanks guys. Thank you, Dave. Uh, our next storyteller won uh, the Story Slam last month, so judges, keep that in mind. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, give a round of applause for Vanessa Harold. Well, now I'm going to have performance anxiety, so there we go. So I live on a farm, so I have farming stories to tell. And basically, a lot of farming stories involve failure or things that are very clearly your fault. And although everybody told me this wasn't my fault, it really, really was my fault. So it was the first year on the farm, and we were raising 10 pigs in total. Except it's really hard to buy 10 pigs at one time, which is really complicated, and I won't explain that. So we bought four pigs, and then a week later, we bought two pigs, and then a month later, we bought, let's, what's the math? Four more pigs. And the first four pigs, they were great. They were like super friendly. They came in, they hung out, and we had an electric fence. So imagine five strands of wire pulled really tight and the first one is like this length so for a baby pig has anybody here seen a baby pig okay you know that they're really really cute but they're also tiny and they're like they're full of trouble so the first four pigs they come home to the farm and we actually put this special pen up so that no matter what happens they can't get out and then you run the electric fence inside it because it takes them one time to touch their nose to the electric fence they're like holy shit that hurts and then they never go near it again so the first ones we train them they picked up on it they're very smart we let them free and they were fine the next two these are bigger pigs they're red wattle pigs so they get to be like 300 350 pounds but they're still they're like this big when they're eight weeks old when you bring them home and they are precious so we put them and it's like a fenced acre but then like something the size of this stage where we're training them and so we put them in with their four half brothers and we fence train them and they touch their it's so it's like I don't know I'm not a mom but I could have that feeling where you're like they're gonna touch the fence and it's gonna hurt and I feel so bad but they touch it and they're "Ah!" and then they like run away but then they never touch it again so we go and we pick up the last four pigs and they're red wattle pigs and they're eight weeks old or maybe nine weeks and they've been weaned and these are the people we got the pigs from were like Okay, the people were a little strange, but the pigs were like really a little strange. But the pigs were the nicest pigs that I have ever met. And so this is like a the first season on the farm, but it's it's late in terms of like when you bring a pig home so that you can slaughter it by November, December before we all freeze to death. And things had gotten a little bit stressful and like you start cutting some corners. 
And so we bring the pigs home, and we, like, pull them out of the truck. Like, pulling a a pig out of the back of a pickup truck with a camper on it, the pig is stressed, the human is stressed, everything's full of, like, pig shit and pee, and you're, like, climbing around looking for this pig, and the pigs don't want to come near you, and then you finally grab it, and it's, like, wriggling out of your arms and just kind of like take the pigs we pick them up and we put them in the pig area in the pasture with the other pigs so there's four new pigs that are kind of a little bit smaller and then there's six friends and the six friends like we're kind of gonna pick on you but we had a bazillion other things to do on the farm so we like we put the pigs in we watch them for a little bit and we're like yeah they look pretty good okay and so we we go in and we like eat some dinner which In terms of running a farm, you don't always eat all the time because there's just so much to do. And the storm clouds are coming in, and it was it was early it was early July. It was like kind of really hot out, and it was after dinner, and it had gotten dark, and we were in the garage making some signs so we could put them out on the road, telling people, "Come on in, we have eggs for sale." And it starts to rain, and it's really really loud in this garage because it has a metal roof, so it's raining and raining, and there's thunder and lightning. We're like, you know, using the drill and the saw, so there's all this noise. And suddenly, somebody like knocks and opens the garage door, which is terrifying when you're not expecting it and you live in the middle of the country and there's usually nobody around. Just like, uh, uh. It's like, we don't know you. She's like, uh, hi, I'm Steve's daughter. It's like, oh, Steve's our neighbor. Okay, you're good people. And so she's like, um, I think some of your pigs are out. Like, oh, crap. So here's the thing also, we're like two women living in the middle of the country and everybody refers to us as the girls in this like kind of nice way, but in this kind of derogatory, who are you women sustainable farmers who have no fucking idea what you're doing and you don't even own a tractor? So I'm like consciously really nervous all the time that I'm doing something wrong. So I'm like, crap, there's, okay, there's pigs out. Oh, we just got these pigs. And I'll tell you, like, pigs are expensive. So like, there's these $100 bills on legs running around and I don't know where they are. And we just brought them home. And I have that mother thing where I feel bad and guilty. So it is now thundering and lightning. And it's like, where does the pig go when it leaves its pasture? I don't know. So she told us what corner that she saw them on. So we go out and we count, and there are six pigs in the pasture. It's like, okay, we're looking for four pigs. Come around the corner, and um, the land is like kind of locked in by the road, so there's roads on two sides of the farm. So there's like a really good chance that this pig is going to turn into a pig pancake in the middle of the road, which also makes me really nervous. So I come around the corner, and there are three of these pigs amidst the like thunder and lightning crashing down, like curled up in this little ball on the ground, like snuggled against each other. It's like, oh, we found them. Okay. And then it's like, how do you wrangle three pigs to go back on the other side of a fence that they just went under and shocked them and they never want to touch again? And I honestly have no idea because at that point I was just so glad to have found them and I think I was so adrenaline high and they are just pigs and it's not a big deal. I think we like we opened a series of gates and there's this thing called a pig panel. It's basically a giant piece of plastic with handles that they charge you $75 for. It's like I could have just made it out of a cardboard box. We were kind of like shooing them in and getting them in and they were also like I'm not going back in with those people who just bullied me, so I left the fence. I was like, okay. So we kind of like, in the middle of the rain, put up these pig panels again, and they call them pig panels for a reason. It's because pigs will actually stay inside of them. And they're like, they're kind of quarantined, and so it's okay. But then we're doing the math. They're like, okay, six in the pen, one, two, three more. Fuck. We are missing one pig. 
Where does one pig go when he is lost on a thunderstorming night? It's like, I have no idea. <laughs> so there are, like, it is, it's also mosquito crazy. So, like, I'm getting just covered in mosquito bites. And we're literally, like, there's a reason that the neighbors call us the girls. It's because we're the ones in the middle of a thunderstorm walking around with our headlamps. Like, did you see it? Did you see it? I don't know. And it's it's embarrassing because we really did have no idea what we were doing. So we did not find the pig. We had the strategies, like where would the pig live or where would it go? It's like underneath the brush along the side of the road, on both sides of the roads for half a mile that we walked with our headlights. Not there. We were like carrying around a pail of grain and shaking it and saying like, here, piggy, 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 which does not work. But we didn't find it. And we didn't find it that night. And the next five mornings we went out looking for the pig. We didn't find it in the next five nights. And it was gone. And I was really embarrassed to tell people we had lost a pig. Because <laughs> it seems like a really, really stupid thing to lose. But I had I talked to a series of like my farming friends and mentors, and they're like, oh, did we tell you about the time we lost the lamb? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, we found her three months later. She was actually just in the neighbor's pasture, and she was eating with their cows every day. And once they came in for the end of the season, they found her, and they just brought her home. I was like, oh, so this happens. This is like a thing. <laughs> People lose animals. And then some other neighbors were like, oh, yeah, oh, no, Steve, he lost one of his steers early in the season. They didn't find him until down by the creek once it was harvest season and all the corn was gone. And then I'm just imagining this, like, black and white cow standing in the middle of a field next to a river in November. But what happens is it's hunting season. So there's a bunch of people out looking to shoot stuff, and they find, I guess, all of the lost animals. <laughs> So months go by, like literally months. And I feel so guilty about this pig. And every time I walk the dog, I'm going and I'm like looking for this pig, but who knows where the pig, like who knows where the pig goes? And I, I just kind of like given up. And you're like, what's this guy going to eat? And what's he going to drink? And I just felt bad. I was expecting to find like a big giant bloated pig carcass and then I'd be full of guilt. And then our neighbors would also walk by and they'd be like, so girls, you found your pig? <laughs> Thanks for rubbing it in. No. And they would just ask that. You found your pig? You found your pig? No, no, thanks. One day, the neighbor, he comes up. He's like, hey, one of your pigs is out. I was just mowing along the ditch. It's like, okay, thanks. We'll go look. And I'm like, shit, another pig? That we'd learned our lesson. So I go out. The first thing I do is I go out to the pen, and I was like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <gasps> we found him. So we went that night and walked along the ditch where he'd seen the pig, which is like literally a quarter mile from the house. Not very far. Not very far at all. Didn't see him, but had heard that he had existed. And then uh, another neighbor who lives one, one driveway down, he calls. He's like, I think I saw your pig walk down my driveway this morning. <laughs> like, thank you. He's like, I tried to grab him, but he was too fast. Like, Okay. So um, I saw the light, so I know my time is coming. But um, over the course of the next week, we actually baited the pig who was living in the neighbor's soybean field. And we ended up catching him in a dog crate and tipping him up and putting the crate in the back of a truck and bringing him back to the house. Um, so the pig actually became part of our pig family again. And then we ate him, which is what you do with pigs. Uh, <laughs> but it was just very nice to at least hear people say, like, all the time. It's no big deal. Because I'm the kind of person who tends to think like everything is my fault and I'm to blame. So it's really good when people are like, oh, people lose animals all the time.
Thank you, Vanessa. Okay, our next storyteller. Uh, does anybody remember Finger Bang? Yeah. Our next storyteller is the person who told us about Finger Bang. Uh, if there's time afterwards, maybe come find her and ask her what that means. Give it up for Lauren. That's a good thing to be remembered for. They called me that. In co- I'm just kidding. They didn't call me that ever. Um, hi. <laughs> my name is Lauren, and this is a story about my ego, basically, and how it prevents me from doing things that good people would do, like defending what's true and right. Um, I was recently in London, England. I was there for a month and a half, which is a good amount of time for a person like me to travel because I really hate sightseeing. Um, And that's not because, again, not because I'm a decent person who's like, oh, tourism really hurts the local, the culture. I just don't, I just, just don't like looking stupid. I don't like, like, just as an example, when I was a teenager and I was looking at places to go for undergrad, I would literally not visit. I would just not go. I just didn't want to walk around with like a map and a group of other people looking lost being like, where's the cafeteria? I just don't, I just, I wouldn't go at all. And I would invest thousands of dollars and man hours and you get the idea. So in general, pretty focused on myself, seems like. Uh, So I went to London, England for six weeks, roughly. So all of February and half of March, I'm just hanging out there, living my life, living with um, my partner and his flatmates. And it's lovely. It's really lovely. And it allowed me to not have an itinerary or a schedule. Like I didn't have to see the sights and order. I could just wander around and be like, there's the globe. Oops. There's the clock. Wow. Parliament exploded in Sherlock. I don't know why it's still standing. That's amazing. Um, And it was great. Thank you. It was great. It was great. Uh, But I found myself in this weird position where I was interesting to people, which I did not expect as an American. Like the number one thing I expected from British people was that they'd be like generally emotionally cold and disinterested in me because I was the new person, I was leaving eventually, uh, and I'm American. Like, everyone knows about America, which retrospectively is like the most American perspective to have. Like, how could you not know how I live my life? Like, we have so much going on. How could you not know about us? So, uh, so I assumed that, which was incorrect. Um, and they weren't totally emotionally cold. Like, it was awkward meeting people, but, like, we hugged occasionally, and it was lovely. Um, and they asked me questions about America, which was great for me, because I was the only American. So I got to, like, play the part of resident American and, like, be asked questions about America and, like, answer things about, like, the Civil War, stuff that I have no idea. I made things up. And if any, if any American had been in the room, I would have, like, maybe filtered, kind of. But I, but I didn't, because I didn't have to. There, was, there were, like, Australians and New Zealanders and Londoners and Nigerians, and I was like, yeah, the United States is totally, like, blah, 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 with authority that I don't have. 
oops, uh, which led to this problem, that I took personal responsibility, like a positive form of it's totally my fault, for great things that I wanted to be in charge of. But when people asked about the things we do that matter, which are generally shitty, uh, I like I was like, what do you what do you mean? Are you talking drones drones? What what do you mean? Uh, and blamed it on other people. So that was kind of what happened. I took my post as resident American, like speaking about things that I, you know, was asked about, like the Kardashians. What's their problem? I don't know. It's crazy. I don't know what they're doing. It's weird. Or like, or our architecture, like I got asked weird questions. So again, because I had six weeks, I spent a lot of time wandering around. I had no itinerary. I'd just walk for like six hours and get totally lost and then lie about it later because I was just walking London. Um, So I found myself at St. Paul's Cathedral. And later that evening, this British person I was staying with said, like, Lauren, what'd you do today? And I was like, oh, I walked around Bashby, which is a really British name. Um, and <laughs> said, like, oh, what'd you see? I was like, oh, St. Paul's Cathedral. Oh, yeah, what'd you think? Oh, it looks like a lot like, lot like the White House. Yeah, don't ever say that to someone from London. He's like, oh. I mean, they're like, you took that from us. <laughs> you took that idea, um, which I then like tried to bypass into a different conversation. So that was that put me a little off. That was in the beginning of a week. And later in the week, um, I was asked, you know, about weird pop culture things. And then about Ferguson, which... Look at me. Not the right person to ask about Ferguson. Like, I was born in Minnesota. I went to school in Indiana. My family's from Michigan. I'm white. (laughs) Not really the person to ask. And yet, I was asked and uh, tried to, like, at least just, you know, say, well, it's really great. People are, like, really taking to the streets. People are speaking out. People are being heard. And the response that I got from some Brits were, isn't that just like you with your spirit like of rebellion and I was like what oh you know just like it's just like how you are what we've known each other for like two weeks you can't mean me oh you know like maybe you adopted it from like your forefathers like because you know they left and they like went over there and they're like really rebellious you know like they left a country. <laughs> okay. I wasn't alive 300 years ago, so I really can't speak to that. So I tried to change the subject many times. That was halfway through the week. At the end of the week, we were talking about social media and like weird things that teenagers do I have all my siblings are younger than me and um, one of my brothers is 16 and I he's 7 years younger than me and I still don't understand him got it um, uses words I don't understand and it's not it doesn't make me feel old it just makes me feel really uncomfortable because it's like weird code language which I guess is what being old feels like um, <laughs> so I was trying to like communicate with my peers in this foreign country by being like 
kids, right? I just don't, what are they saying? I don't know, Snapchat, whatever. And instead, the response I got was just like, oh yeah, well, you had a perfectly good language to work with, look what you did to it. And I was like, well, uh, what? You had like, you know, we like gave you the English language. You're welcome. But like, what did you do? You know, it's it's funny. It's fine. And um, my reaction wasn't awesome. So just apologies to all Americans everywhere forever for what I said. But I sarcastically tried to shut them down by saying, oh my God, you're so right. Like the English language, you passed that on to us and like ideas of economy and religion. Thank you so much. And like the transatlantic slave trade, who came up with that was amazing. Didn't really work. Because remember earlier you asked me about Ferguson. I just figured you'd want to know how... So then I stayed there for two more weeks. <laughs> and I think I'm allowed to go back, so it went okay. But to be completely honest, being held accountable for like things that have happened since 1776, don't, I don't recommend it. The end. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. All right, our next storyteller is Dan McHugh. So please put your hands together for Dan. Thank you. I'll keep it quick. So there I was, me and my neighbor, Steve. He was 12 years old. It's not weird because I, too, was 12 years old. In a heated bike race. And... As far as bicyclists went in our neighborhood, we were basically Nicky Lauda and whoever Chris Hemsworth plays in that movie Rush about the F1 racing minus the fiery car wrecks. So there I was in my 1986 neon yellow out of an 80s fever dream nightmare Schwinn. And this thing was good. When it, it had like low gears. If you were like racing down a hill, it had gears completely unnecessarily low. But they were awesome because you could go super fast. You couldn't always slow down, but that was an afterthought. So, me and Steve driving by my... Sh- not driving, that's not what we do on bikes. Riding by my neon Schwinn, aged like a fine wine. We were looking at each other as we raced down Rattana Drive... The where my house is. <laughs> I looked over at him, our eyes locked, and we just kept racing down. For probably like 10 seconds, I was just staring at him and just bike, bicycling down this street, just intense. And he looked up, and that's when I knew I won, because I had the determination that he did not. But then I looked back around, and I had one single thought. That van shouldn't be there. (laughs) So, it was parked, not moving at all, which made my collision with it far worse. I... (laughs) 
my front tire hit the bumper. I flipped over it, shoulder first, right into the back of this van. And it had like one. Of, it was one of those um, no rear view uh, window. It just was this big metal back door. So I just slammed into it, completely crumpled. My bike tire like twisted, and I like just completely fell over onto the pavement. And and uh, so I, I got up and I just like tried to mend myself as best I could, get on my bike and get going. And then someone comes out from across the street, and it was some old man. And he's like, "Hey," I was like, "Hey." He's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Was that dent there before you crashed into that truck?" And in my most convincing voice, I said, no. <laughs> and, and he's like, I think it was. You should get going. <laughs> That's my story. Thank you, Dan. Our next storyteller, Scott. Scott Dakin, are you still here? Awesome. Here's Scott Dakin. I've been triple dog dared to tell this story uh, on a first date as well. So. <laughs> so who remembers their first love, their first girlfriend, boyfriend? I was five years old, and, and uh, Mary Beth Hirschbeck was a neighbor and lived a couple blocks away. And she was the most precocious little Catholic schoolgirl that I've ever met. I went to the public school. We got out of school and got home usually about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The Catholic kids got home about 3.20, and the public school kids were always, like, in their houses looking out the windows because the Catholic kids, after being beaten by the nuns all day, were, like, you know, getting off their bus and and, uh, a terror. You know, when you saw the kids with the blue shirts and the girls with the plaid skirts, you just kind of, like, got out of the way and let them kind of do their thing. Um, When I was five years old... My mom caught Mary Beth and I in the basement of her house playing doctor. And uh, she caught us with our britches down and said, Scott, you don't want to do that. You, you don't want to look at each other's privates. You know? and, and of course I said, well, I really, really do, Mom. We really do. It's really fun. Okay. You know. So it wasn't my fault. I was you know, five years old and curious. Um, in 1978, I was 13 years old, um, I had a paper out, and I saw uh, one morning when I was delivering the Milwaukee Sentinel that the Pope had died. After school that day, I uh, saw Mary Beth and said, you know, you're Catholic, right? The, the, the Pope has died. She's, oh, yeah, you know, we, we talked about that all day at school. I don't want to talk about that. And so, you know, we, we uh, were talking a little bit more, and uh, Brian, another uh, Catholic kid from the neighborhood, said, uh, you know, why don't we get together? Let's, let's do something tonight. And uh, the three of us were kind of hanging out at Brian's place 
looking across the street into my garage to the refrigerator where my dad kept all his beer. And <laughs> Brian, Mary Beth, and I were considering you know, going and getting some beers and going into the, the, um, the uh, shrubs and, and drinking the beer. So we, <laughs> I hauled my ass over with Brian and Mary Beth, because she was smarter than the rest of us. So she stayed behind and uh, she, you know, was kind of egging us on. We grabbed three beers. We went in the bushes. And I remember, you know, this is, I was like really impressed with myself. And I said, you know, Beer always tastes a lot better when you steal it. It's always better when you steal it. And I also had some Swisher Sweet cigars. Anybody remember those? Before people used to make balance out of them, I mean, I think it was like well before the years where people used to like take the tobacco or whatever it is that was in them out and put pot. We actually like smoked them because it was like cool. And I was able to buy them at uh, the Walgreens down at the corner. I told them, well, you know, my, my dad, he's not going to come down and buy them, but these cigars are for him. He's working on the, the, our Buick Electra and you know, he's my mom's ready to head for the hills. It was so much bullshit. And the pharmacist always sold me these swishers. So we're we're in the shrubs and I have these swishers and Mary Beth says, I I can't smoke these. These are cigars. I, girls don't smoke cigars. And I said, well, Yeah, okay. I, I want a cigarette. Oh, Right, so where would I get a cigarette? I thought, well, my mom smokes cigarettes. So I go into the house, and I find where she keeps her carton of cigarettes. I open a new one, and I grab a pack of Bel Air menthols, and I take them out. And so there, Brian and Mary Beth and I are drinking our cold point beer, smoking cigars. Mary Beth is smoking a cigarette. We're like tycoons, you know, and an empress out there. So I did have to answer to my dad when he said, so I want to return this case of beer that I had. And there are three beers missing. What, what the hell? I said, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's not my fault. I don't know where they are. He says, yeah, right. Your older brother and sisters are legal to drink. What the hell? You know. So then my mom sees the, the carton of cigarettes torn into with a pack missing. And I said, I didn't smoke your cigarettes. It's, it's not my fault. So, which was true. Well, but not really. So, <laughs> um, anyway... That's my story, and uh, I was triple dog dared. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you much. Our next storyteller is this your real name? Really? <laughs> That's so funny. Our next storyteller is not famous, he does not have a podcast. Do you have a podcast? He does not have a podcast. However, his name is Chris Hardwick, so please put your hands together for Chris Hardwick. Keep it going.
Hi, everybody. So my name actually is Chris Hardwick, and funny story, the Chris Hardwick, the Nerdist, knows about me, and that relates to this story because I'm something of a Rubik's Cube aficionado. Um, I've been a competitive speed cuber for about 16 years. That is actually a thing. Um, let's see. I've been doing this for a long time. It's something I'm very interested in. Chris Hardwick, like way back in the day when we when he was getting started, I guess, uh, would Google to see yeah, like uh, his stuff, Google his name. I was doing the same thing, of course, and we would see each other. We were always like switching places at the top of the search list. So when I was in high school, before all that, I was still cubing, but I wasn't doing the competitive stuff yet. I really like the Rubik's Cube, right? It's just something I think is fun. And I was well known for this at my school. Now, something you should know, my wife and I recently moved to Wisconsin, moved to Madison. It is amazing, by the way. But I grew up, woo, I like it a lot. We do. So I grew up in North Carolina. That's where I went to high school, was in Durham, North Carolina. Yay! So <laughs> I went to the North Carolina School of Science and Math. So it's kind of what it sounds like. It's like math camp for two years of high school, which was amazing for someone like me who likes to do the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> so anyway, right when I graduated high school, some friends, of, uh, some friends of mine and I, we were like, yay, we graduated. This is awesome. So we went to the beach because North Carolina has the Outer Banks. It has a nice beachfront. That's just something you do. So we said, great, let's go to the beach. This will be awesome. And of course, I had a Rubik's Cube. I like to fiddle with it in the car or whatever. All my friends knew that I did this. And then when we get to the beach, we're just basically doing beach stuff. We go on the beach, we go on the water, this is awesome, we go to restaurants. And then, so I have a couple of friends with me. Um, they're from North Carolina, so you probably don't know them. To keep the name straight, I'm going to say their actual names, and I'm not going to say their last names. So I'm here with Allison, Brandon, and Ben. And Ben is one of my really good friends here at school. So... We're driving home one night, and Allison is a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, and she is driving. Now, the beach house is owned by her father, and he is a small farmer. Like, he owns a small farm. He's very handy. He's very crafty. And he had come down to the beach house the week before to fix things up. So there's some construction stuff still in the car, which Allison drove us down to the beach in. So there's, like, drywall and stuff, and like, from the boots and stuff, just in the floorboards. There's some construction stuff in the back seat. We put all that stuff in the trunk, and we're driving down. So the car is a little messy. On the way home, Allison... Allison's driving a little bit too fast because, again, adrenaline junkie, and we see the blue and red lights in the back window. So we're like, oh, man, Allison's going to get a speeding ticket. This sucks. This isn't any fun. Oh, sorry, Allison. So we pull over to the side, and the officer walks up and says, I need to see your license and registration, ma'am. She opens up her wallet, hands it. He looks at the license and, stay in the car, please. And he walks over to his car and is doing whatever he's doing. And we're like, oh, Allison, I'm so sorry. You're going to get a speeding ticket. Like, what can I, you know, she's, she's obviously upset. This is not something that happens often. And then the officer comes back and says, I need you all to step out of the car, please. And what? I mean, we're all from this North Carolina School of Science and Math. Like, we're, <laughs> we kind of, there's a stereotype about people like us. And we're, you know, we're not really, we're just going to the beach, right? So he pulls us out of the car. And unbeknownst to us, 
Allison's last name, let's say it's Smith. I'm just picking a name. Allison's last name is the name of apparently a cocaine drug family in eastern North Carolina where we're at the beach. We had no idea about this. So the officer pulls us out one by one and starts questioning us. Everybody gets frisked. We have no idea what's going on, right? At this point, we still are like, what is happening? This is a speeding ticket. What is what? And... To cap it all off, eventually the officer says, are you affiliated with such and such family? You know, where were you? Like, starts asking us really specific questions. And we're like, whoa, 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 hang on. We're just going to the beach. We're from Durham. What, what is this? And then to cap it all off, while we're trying to convince the officers that we, may, well, although we may have been speeding, we're not involved in any of the cocaine stuff on the side, wherever that comes from. My friend Ben, who's a good friend of mine, is like, officer, you have got to see this guy solve a Rubik's Cube. I am not even joking. And he said, and the officer is very serious because he's trying to figure out, are we drug dealers? Like, what's going on? And Ben's like, you, I'm not even joking. You got to see this guy solve a cube. And so obviously after enough time, we're, whatever the officer had in mind for a drug dealing family that is all related, we were obviously not fitting that profile. So they were like, we would like to apologize. And they actually did let Allison go without a speeding ticket because of the whole ordeal. And that was, that's my story. (laughs) Thank you, Chris Hardwick. It's the first time I've ever had Chris Hardwick on my podcast. Uh, If I had a nickel for every time I've gotten out of a ticket because I could solve a Rubik's Cube, man. That's going to be it for us on this episode of Madison Story Slam. I hope hearing these stories of people doing things that weren't exactly their fault, or maybe they were, has has given you freedom to admit the things that you've done that weren't your faults, or maybe were. Anyway, our next Story Slam is Saturday, May 16th at the Wilmar Center, 953 Jennifer Street. The theme is Hindsight is 2020. We hope to see you there. There will be Ale Asylum beer and other refreshments available for you. And we'll have a couple door prizes again. Anyway, go back, listen to some past episodes. Have a good one. We'll see you next time.